This is Mental, the podcast to destigmatize mental health. I'm Bobby Temps. I'm Danny Hogan. Each Thursday, we delve into a factor or condition that influences the mind and how to better manage it. With special guests and stats you can trust, here we go. As the lockdown continues, so does our coverage of the COVID-19 pandemic in relation to mental health. So first off, we'll talk about what's happened since we last recorded. You'll remember from that episode, I talked about my predictions of the length of this lockdown being at least for the next two months. And there have been some suggestions that that is backed up, basically, in that the government have just extended the job retention scheme until the end of June. That's the scheme which covers 80% of wages for furloughed employees. So to me, that suggests that they're expecting at least some businesses to remain closed until at least the end of June. They've also confirmed that pubs, restaurants and performance venues will be among the last businesses to open, which isn't at all a surprise to me, but does give the impression that the government are considering how they gradually lift the lockdown, Mm. which is very much something that, that makes sense and follows the the scientific guidance so that we don't just then immediately have a sharp increase in cases again, that instead if we can slowly lift elements of the lockdown, there'll be a lot more control over how this spread continues and if those measures need to go back in again. Yeah, definitely. I think it's inevitable that there's going to be a staggered approach. But what will be interesting is who gets placed where. I think that will be then the next uh, discussions that will have been had, you know, who gets let out first, why are we first and they're third. I'll be interested to see. Tricky, it's both a privilege and a risk. And I think trying to unpick the stress and anxiety around that could be quite difficult, that we've been bombarded with these messages of all the reasons to stay at home and how dangerous it is to be outside right now to go from that to now being like, okay, back to your workplace. Mentally, I think that could cause quite a strain. Absolutely. It's something that employers are going to have to really consider from a mental health point of view more than anything, because I think there's going to have to be some kind of flexibility and some support and resource available that will allow people to have some kind of returning to work option or choice, whether they maybe you go part time, whether you do a couple of hours and then come home, because, you know, everybody that's faced this and who are there now, every, you know, OK, everybody works in a certain industry can now go back to work. There will be across all industries of people that don't quite want to if, if they don't feel ready. I don't know how employees are going to really manage that, but there definitely has, has to be some support for that. You're absolutely right. Stress and anxiety will just go through the roof if you feel that you're being told you're back to work next Monday. Right. And if nothing else, we talked about routine a lot last week. It'll be a massive shock to that. We're only just getting used to our new routines in lockdown and and how we manage our time, really. So then to suddenly go back to your normal work, particularly when the virus is going to be around for the foreseeable future. And so instead, I think you're right that it would make sense to be able to gradually return to work a bit like many people will do if they're coming off longer term sickness or maybe maybe maternity leave. Also, that makes a lot of sense from a more social point of view, that so much has changed in a really short period of time. 
it's still a very strange time to be living. And so going back fully straight away would also be very stressful from the point of view that everything else is still happening. There's still all the bombardment of news. There's still all the daily figures mm-hmm. that come out and can be quite alarming. And you're just back to your normal day job and doing the same thing you were before this. I think that could be quite jarring. Uh, yeah, it, it would sort of feel it, inappropriate, if nothing else. Yeah, to... yeah. The fact that it's so mind-boggling, there has to be credit given where credit's due to whoever is leading this operation for anybody who is only, you know, human. Mm. So as much as we can be critical, we are very much not saying it's easy to make these yeah. decisions. and. Yeah. I am very much on record with this podcast being really pro-lockdown and strict measures. As as difficult as it is and as massive as the mental health impact is, yeah. right now we need really strict measures in order to limit loss of life. And that is what it comes down to. And of course, there's, there's loss of life concerns from a mental health perspective as well, how this is impacting people. There is no easy solution. There is no fix all for this. And so it is going to continue to be tough there's going to be a lot of adapting we do just like you said going into this but also coming back out of it and things are changing constantly just this week there's been a lot of debate around whether or not people should be wearing masks outside some countries are starting to enforce this that if you are out doing your shopping or leaving your house for other essential reasons you need to be wearing a face mask And I know a lot of people between that and between seeing all the frontline workers with the PPE on the news, it can easily have people feeling really unsafe if they don't have that protection. Mm. Although, as has been discussed, the evidence is quite mixed. That A lot of people initially thought, oh, the masks make sense because they create a barrier. But actually, the barrier is far more outwards than it is inwards. So it it more protects other people from you coughing or your breath not spreading as far as opposed to it actually being a barrier that that protects you, particularly with the the more paper type masks or the ones that aren't airtight. Absolutely. It's a great point. Although I guess, you know, because we know that with this virus, the symptoms can be hidden for a while. You know, I guess if everybody was wearing masks, then it protects others from you if you've got it. Well, you might not know that you've got it. So, you know, and I've got a mask, but I'm not consistent with it. And if I'm honest, it's because my other half is is very consistent with it. We're a family of ninjas (laughs) when we go out as a family on the bikes or go for walks. We've all got these masks on. And it's a bit like, I'm a bit, I don't know, because when I go out on my own for a run or for a walk, I don't wear one. But the other day I was in the supermarket and why did the guy come right behind me when he could have just waited? Like, I was just looking at some veg. It was going to be his turn. You know, just wait. But he came right over me, right by me. And I just thought, mate, it was supposed to be two metres apart. But then I had this little smug thing in myself. Well, And I was like, well, I've got my mask on. And it almost felt like I could breathe easily. Whereas, like, without it, if somebody came that close to me, like, I kind of hold my breath, which probably all it just makes no sense. But, right. you, know, seen, you know what I mean? It's just No, that's crazy. a really good point because that's the danger that government officials are worried about, that people will get, get kind of cocky, that if everyone's yeah. wearing a mask, we'll then stop taking other precautions. Yeah. And so that's <laughs> the difficult balance. But I guess my perspective on it is that I understand why it's not being enforced right now 
But like anything, we have to see how it goes. So there may come a point where it's necessary to take that extra step to suppress the spread even more. That if we find the current measures aren't doing quite enough, then I'm very open to that being another step, even though the the evidence and the discussion around it is quite mixed. We may just get to a point where it's like, okay, let's chuck another precaution at this and Mm -hmm. just try our best to advise people to not let anything else slip just because you're wearing a mask doesn't mean you can stop washing your hands. Doesn't mean you can ignore the two-metre rule. Yeah, I guess that's right. And especially as we're talking about being, you know, staggering people back to work, I guess it's, you know, bringing that in when you let the first wave out. Maybe that's what they're thinking of doing. I think like with anything, a lot of it is about management. So perhaps in workplaces, it makes more sense because you can have procedures around it. You can have everyone using their PPE in the same way. In the NHS, there's very strict procedures, there's an order for putting everything on and taking everything off, and that's a big part of why it's effective. Mm. Because at the moment, even those that are using masks, everyone's using them differently. Some people are using disposable ones, some people aren't, some people are washing their reusable ones, some not so much. Yeah. And even within that, there's therefore no consistent safety level. No. And so next up, we'll get into the statistics we touch on every week. And I'm particularly pleased having just had a quick peek at them. He says, waiting for the page to load. So first off, the number of people that are confirmed to have recovered from COVID-19 now totals 636,629 as of recording this on Monday afternoon. And that is an increase of over 200,000 since last week. So so as we say every week, it's easy to get fixated on the negative numbers. And a lot of the focus is understandably on those, but we just really like highlighting that one. And the other stat is within the active confirmed cases, the proportion of them that are serious or critical. So that now stands at 3% globally. So that has gone down another percent since last week which is very much to be expected as the testing ramps up. It means that more and more people who are in lower severity are being tested. So that may well continue to become even lower. So for only 3% of people that are actively infected with COVID-19 to be considered serious or critical is something to draw reassurance from that as deadly as this virus can be, for the vast majority of us, it's not. Have I phrased that correctly? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's I not to so. discount that it is scary and it is dangerous. No, but you're putting it in perspective. <laughs> you look like you don't know whether you're going to say something else, just staring into the distance. I'm just thinking. I don't know, not at all. I think it's a fact. So, and it's positive facts and we're not being reductive. <laughs> just teasing my choice of words. Yeah, we're not though. No, I I just get a bit self-conscious about it sometimes when we are covering it quite differently to other coverage I'm seeing. I I never want it to be seen that we're not taking this seriously. The very fact that we have devoted our whole show now to this should hopefully be enough proof that we're taking it seriously. You always say, Bobby, anyway, that's not to put it down or that's not to say this. You know, you always counteract what you say. Every time we talk, you know, the understanding the severity of the situation. To be honest, I'd be quite happy to turn on 
mental and hear that. Good. Thank you. You're right, though, Danielle. And actually, if I think about it, a lot of our listeners have been coming back with that, saying that they are finding those stats helpful. And many of them have started tracking them themselves. So when they want a bit of an update and to look into the news, that's one of the ways they do it now. They look at our stats via worldometers and see, OK, it's it's better since I last heard from mental. Yeah, great. And while I mention that, listeners, if you do want to give us any feedback, we are more open to it than ever, really. If you have any positives, if you have any negatives, you can drop us an email. You can send us a DM on Instagram. We're just mental podcast on there. And if you're enjoying the coverage, by all means, put that in a review on Apple Podcasts or the Stitcher website. That will just really help more like-minded people find the show. Mm. So last up for our intro, we'll look at our potential positive. But first, I just wanted to mention last week's one again. So we talked about having a more united world. And so something we wanted to add to that this week is that we both watched the Global Citizen One World Together at Home concert. Digital concert? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not quite how, sure how to phrase it. Oh, brilliant. For so many reasons, like... I just felt it was a real level of like see everybody else at home like we're all just at home in four walls <laughs> yeah um, even Beyonce yeah even Beyonce although she may be in 14 million walls <laughs> <laughs> but I just thought it was brilliant I love that everybody came together and wanted to come together people would like you know it just shows how we're all just so connected but what was funny from my point of view watching it with the children is because my kids are like nine and six, well, we're six on Thursday, because she's, and which my mum wants me to walk her up the road with an umbrella because she saw it on the news that one lady did that and the whole neighbourhood came out and started singing happy birthday to the child. So my mum's like, I think it's a great idea, real, love it. Just tie an umbrella, tie up, not an umbrella, a balloon. Did I say umbrella? You said, I was a bit confused there. <laughs> tie a balloon to her wrist and walk up the road and everyone will come out. Anyway. But the fact that, like, we love music, we sing all the time, we listen to radio, the girls have got playlists, like, we love music, all old school stuff and new, like, the children are all over it. But they love Jess Glynn. And what's funny is, I don't let them watch music videos. Ella's nine, she's not really started on that thing yet. And I think some of them are just outrageous and I just can't let them watch them. However, so it's funny when they see a singer and then don't know that it's them. And like, it really hit me that I just, they don't, they would never put a face to a name. So they were like, that's Jess Glynn. And I was like, yeah, have you seen her before? And they're like, no. Someone else she thought was black, who was white. Like, it was just so interesting. Like, it was really good. Like, we loved it. And they knew so many of the songs. But, you know, to real, really see, like, I wonder what they'd had in their head or, you know, the visions of people that weren't what they thought they were. So that was just a little funny thing. Yeah, I absolutely loved it. And I really found it interesting watching Ellie Golding. And she'd said afterwards that she felt real anxiety. She suffered a lot with anxiety. And I felt that that was quite apparent. She was quite, quite shy. She did her song. But compared to some other artists that were full of expression, she was quite subdued. And she went on afterwards to say she really struggled to pull herself together for it and, and get rid of her nerves of performing. She's still really self-conscious about of singing voice and she struggles with anxiety so for her it was a real you know moment to try and even get on and do it in front of a camera knowing it's going out you know to millions right and I think she did a great job of highlighting the nuanced problems with this in relation to our mental health that she said as someone with social anxiety you might think 
she's having a great time being isolated and being away from people, but she's not. Yeah. And and in many ways, it made it all the scarier that she was doing this concert that millions of people were going to watch and she couldn't even see them. She couldn't even see if they were enjoying it. That yeah. That would be terrifying. Yeah. But no, you're right. Across the board, there was loads of great mentions of mental health, which I was really pleased about. You know, that's always something we worry about, that this will be overlooked. They even had a character from Sesame Street talking about big feelings, which I thought was a really lovely way of... Oh, did they? I didn't see that. Yeah, I thought it was a really kind of inclusive way of talking about mental health problems as Mm. big feelings, because that includes symptoms, that includes illnesses, that's the kind of full gamut in a way that kids will still understand and is easy to explain. Interesting, because that's one point that I really want us to look at, and I'm going to, when some statistics start coming out, remember we said right at the top of, of our show, when we switched over to do our own coronavirus episodes, we spoke about the different levels of mental illness in terms of who, who are going to be the best copers, if I can say it in that inverted commas. I think there'll be a lot of new cases, people coming out that have never maybe had a mental illness before, that will start to struggle. And I kind of predict, I should be doing predictions now, not just you, but I kind of predict that those of us who do struggle with our mental health quite openly and may or may not have a diagnosis, but know that there's, there's a struggle there. Uh, I feel that there's a strength within our community. We talk and we get support, not everybody, but, you know, a high percentage of more and more lately. It'd be interesting. And I think that constant and highlight people talking about it might really help those people because there'll be people tinkering on the edge, I think, that mm. have been fine before and now all of a sudden are struggling. And to see that it's out there and people are talking about it so much might be quite comforting. I, I think that's so true. And you're right, it is a very supportive community. And the more we do this podcast, the more we find that. It, we're kind of at a point now where we've interviewed enough people that I can sort of reach out to anyone in the mental health scene and mention people that they know of that have been past guests. And so there is a lot of that connection that people are, are really missing right now that they'd normally have in other ways. We already have that connection to each other and sort of unified message and cause. Right now, the whole world is getting that. Yeah. So, no, I think it's a great point. So I was so delighted to see it. It was incredible and I think suitably surreal as a thing to watch seeing all these people from home. And many people are already calling it the band-aid of our generation, which oh. I, I think is fair. It's like, it's not the same. I don't think there's going to be a movie made with <laughs> it shown at the end like we had with actual band-aid. But I think it is powerful and it's something that, that obviously was viewed by people all around the world. It was played on three different channels in America simultaneously. Wow. Um, And, you know, had some massive, massive names who would never otherwise appear on a bill together. You know, when else would you have Gaga and Celine Dion singing together, particularly from their homes? And then to talk about this week's potential positive, we want to talk about the time that so many of us have. Of course, it's a little bit more complex with you having the kids, but for many people... Less work means more free time. And this is particularly relevant with our last bonus episode having been about meditation, something that a lot of people are taking up right now. 
Marcus is very busy in terms of sharing his meditation practice with as many people as he can. People want things to do, you know, and he mentioned Mm. that he's learning French and other hobbies that people are picking up that otherwise they may have just never prioritised. And that's been very cool to see. And I have one to share of my own that I think you might find funny. I had a call from a friend the other day to say, we're starting a new D&D game, do you want in? So for the listeners, if you don't know, that's short for Dungeons and Dragons, which is a a real life role-playing game that's usually done in the same room. You sit around a table, there's a dungeon master that talks through the story and has planned out a, a quest for your group. And then from there, there's points at which each of your characters that you've thought up have to make decisions and you roll the dice to see what the outcome is and who survives and what happens next. That's a very abridged description of what it is. So I get this call from a friend and I'm now involved in a quest. It's not actually D&D, it's a spin-off game within that kind of family. (laughs) So before I knew it, I was on a group call with Emily, but also several people that I don't know. And uh, yeah, it's just quite a surreal experience. And so I I have a character. I'm a a spy based in New York. I've not yet decided who I'm spying for, but I need to. Right. Or who you're spying on. Indeed. And this game is set in the 1920s. So the Game Master with the characters we've created is now going to weave together a story outline and we will have our first session on Friday. Oh, uh, my God. <laughs> have you got a name? No, not yet. So a name for you. Very much still world building. Kat found it <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> Kat found it hilarious because she turned to me and said, ha, huh, now I'm not the nerd in the household. <laughs> I find it hilarious, too. You can tell Kat. Just the thought of you being on a virtual... Quest. <laughs> Quest, yeah. <laughs> Quest is what makes it funny. <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons spin-off Quest. Bobby Temps. It's just hilarious to me. It's so outside of what I'm used to because, I mean, right now I'm meeting more new people than ever before via yeah. digital means for the podcast. But I, I spoke to my friend afterwards and I was like, so is this just going to be audio? Can we not get on video? Like, I need to, like, see the people I'm dealing with. And she's like, but, but you don't really need to because so much of it is imaginary. Like, you you need to understand their character. And I'm like, no, but that's, that's not how I understand people. I need to see them. I need to understand their mind and their perspective. So I don't... So I might nudge the game master and be like, so... um." One vote for video call. <laughs> <laughs> but it won't make any difference unless you do, which is what I visualised as soon as you told me you were about to embark on this quest, you in full outfit from that era as a dungeon, in a, in like a dungeon. I don't know, I feel like this a reenactment, but you know, those people that do reenactments on the, on the shores, it's, on the banks. <laughs> it's not, <laughs> I know what you mean, it's not quite that, or at least it's not for us. I did quickly add a few of them on Facebook just because I felt a little bit more like it was a, <laughs> a human interaction that I was used to. And I was like, okay, now at least I, I know the face that goes with that voice. Oh my um, God. So have you got to do anything for Friday? Yeah, I've got to continue planning out my character. I've got to divide up 
my skill points, which I've not done. So that will define when you do the roll dicing. The roll dicing, this is how you know I don't know the rules. I can't even yeah. get the words out. You're going to be the one that they're all going to be going, is that the newbie? Come on, Bobby, get with it. You know, if they all know what they're doing, <laughs> you're going to you'll be like the sore thumb standing out, getting all the words wrong, not having a clue what you're doing. I, I, love I it. hope not. <laughs> no, but I love that though. Why Be, be new to something, be brand new and learn yeah. something. You're right. How funny is that? It's amazing. You're right. That is the point that we're making here, that it's an opportunity in this time to explore new yeah. things. I yeah. I would have never otherwise been inclined to, but I have all this time. I'm missing my friends. I'm missing a lot of people. And yeah, it, it seems like fun. So I've got to get all this planned out and the character I create will define how I do in the quest, basically. So on Monday, we can touch base every week. We can talk about how the quest is going. I will speak off camera beforehand. I'll be like, Bob, are you safe still? Can we talk about it this week? Maybe a little bit too niche for the podcast. I'm not sure. But we'll we'll see what happens. Yeah. Well, I'll certainly be asking you before we start recording. I just think you, you will find it fun that one of the skills I chose was psychoanalysis. Yeah. <laughs> that was Yay. one of the options for my character. And I was like, mm, that, that seems useful. That- Yes. So that's the potential positive we wanted to touch on this week, the the power that this time gives us to prioritise new exploration we wouldn't otherwise have. And as I mentioned, we had that recent bonus episode all about meditation, where we talk a little bit more about this and Marcus shares a 10-minute guided meditation, which he managed to time perfectly with his eyes closed. And that is how you know he's a pro. I I, I have no idea how long 10 minutes is. Wow. On that note, we will start wrapping up this uh, particularly long intro we have here and get into our main episode content. So this week, we're going to be talking all about personal reflection. Again, along the similar theme that we potentially have more space to reflect on our lives, to reflect on our mental health and potentially plan out some changes for when things start to get back to normal. But before we get into that, we've got a very special interview that we're super excited about. So you'll remember from last week, I read out a abridged version of an article from a Italian writer called Francesca. The same day that episode went live, I got a message from her to say thank you so much for your moving reading of my article. So of course, what did we do? We had to invite her on the podcast. So in a moment, you'll hear a brief interview with Francesca. But first, who's our sponsor? Let's find out. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. So my name is Francesca Melandri, and I was asked first to write this article by the French newspaper Liberation. And it was published in French, of course. And then, as I always do, I published it in both versions, the Italian original and the French translation. 
on my Facebook page. And very soon I started noticing that something was happening, which was not usual. A lot of movement on my page, lots of comments, not just French or Italian people, but people from all over the place. And I really had the impression that something new was happening when I got a message from a Chinese lady who told me that I read it in Shanghai. It immediately became apparent that it was being very spontaneously translated by readers. And then a few days later, it was uh, published by The Guardian and Der Spiegel, so in English and in German. And especially the publication on The Guardian was really another amazing boost because, of course, English is the language of the planet. It still <laughs> is. And it was the most viewed article, certainly of the week, and it was, I think, most shared. So it went quote-unquote, viral, <laughs> which is quite a, a word to use in mm -hmm. these times. And it never happened to me. I write novels and books, so that doesn't happen to what I write usually. And so all these translations started flooding, literally flooding in, all the personal messages, so on, and also uh, official media, like uh, the La Vanguardia del México and uh, the Matrubumi in Kerala, in Malayalam, or... It was translated, I think the last count is around 30 languages. Wow. Oh, such a wonderful thing. Spontaneously, people started making creative projects. For instance, there was an audio drama made by radio in Soweto, Johannesburg, in South Africa, which was actually very well done. It was very funny because at the beginning, since I'm Italian, the music was mandolins, <laughs> of course. <laughs> And then there were countless videos made in India, in Hindi, Marathi, Bangla. So it was like, you know, a spontaneous eruption of feeling, really, which was the most amazing thing of all. I mean, this was really so unexpected and, I must say, very, very, very moving. Wow, that's incredible. But I think it's a sign of how much people are looking for hope and clarity right now. And that's certainly how I found it in The Guardian, seeing that name, A Letter from Your Future. It just caught me straight away. And mm -hmm. reading it, I found it very moving. How spot on you were about not just how the virus was affecting us, but the social side, how this was affecting everyone's lives and our family and our connections with each other. And hence, we talked about it on the podcast as an example of this feeling of being in a more global world. And so to hear how many languages it's been translated into very much hammers that point home. And I must say that I've received so many private messages and comments. I've virtually spent two weeks trying to answer them all personally, which I really made a point of doing, or at least trying to do, because they were so personal, so emotional, so you know heartfelt. It was interesting because some of them, like you say, saw it as something heartwarming, hopeful. Many others saw it as somber, somewhat sad, even worried, which is also all there. But what they thanked the author of this letter for was giving voice to a feeling that they were having anyway and feeling that they were not alone with it. And of course, uh, as we all know, that's exactly the point of you know, the healing part of sharing even the, the saddest, uh, darkest feelings. It's not actually in the content of the feelings themselves, but it, it's in the fact that you and I, we're resonating with the same feeling and we can understand each other. And 
share and empathize and be together. That was the amazing communication which I kept on getting. We are in this together. And believe me, getting this communication from people literally from around all over the world, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing like this has ever happened to me before. That's so incredible. And I think you're right that there was such a mixture of of hope and truth and sadness all in one. And that's why so many people connected to it. I guess in that way, you can take your own interpretation. When I read it first, I found it at times quite humorous that you kept mentioning eating and then eating again. And, you know, you'd have a darker line and then it would be followed by maybe saying many children will be conceived. And it was a way of exploring the darkness, but actually for me at least, leaving it on a hopeful message that we're united in pain, but we're also united in the hope and the cause, which is to protect lives. Right. Because reality has always had this feature of being quite messy and now it's totally not understandable. (laughs) So the bottom line was this, this need for a mutual recognition and saying, yes, we're basically all humans in this And our biology is the same. And also some basic facts of our emotional lives are the same. For instance, probably the two lines which were most quoted by people, which, by the way, was very personal for me. Not everything that is in that letter is regarding my personal experience, but this one was, which is that you do not know when you will see your adult children again will hit you like a punch in the chest. And so many people wrote to me, yes, my adult children, my children are far away or in another country or another place. And I miss them. So many people. And and the second one, <laughs> which was hilarious. So many people. Yes, it's true. We have to fight with our elderly people, with our parents or the, the older generation. And they're really acting like teenagers because they want to go outside. And we have such a hard time explaining to them, no, you can't. Because if you go outside, you get sick and you're at risk. And so many people wrote to me experiences uh, of this. Right. That's so true. And you're right that those are also some of the most universal messages in it. We can find elements of that in every family. Certainly I could. And you mentioned about some parts of it relating to you personally, some not so much. Do you mind sharing how the lockdown in particular and the progression of the virus in Italy has affected you? The bottom line is that I am very privileged and I am in general and I am even more so in this particular situation. I'm a writer, so I'm very used staying at home and uh, being alone and being uh, with my thoughts. My job has not been affected, at least until now. Of course, all the book industry, <laughs> we would, don't know what will happen to that. But as far as the creative part of, you know, doing what I'm supposed to do, which is write, I can do it. And yeah. uh, my children, okay, they're away, but they're healthy, they're well. But there is the collective worry, of course. That is another level of anxiety, of fear, of the unknown. And uh, that is like a bass tone, vibration which is constantly there in the soundscape of one's life, certainly in mine. But I think most people would say the same thing. Right. And that's a great thing you acknowledged in the article as well, that there is this divide. Those that have privilege that will very much show right now, we're all isolating at home, but the homes we're isolating in are very different. But it's good to hear that you're still feeling creative in this, because I know for a lot of people, that's that's really been an impact that they've 
felt a huge pressure to be creative and be productive because suddenly they have all this time that perhaps they were really hoping for. Suddenly they have it. But because of the the anxiety and the fear that you mentioned, they're not feeling creative. They're just in a kind of panicked, frozen state. Yeah, and it's also a featureless empty time. Personally, my sleep patterns, I've never been an early bird. That's not my constitution. But now, really, I'm, I'm waking up at very weird times and going to sleep at very weird times. I share, I'm not alone, I share the apartment with a person and we have always our, our meals together and that is a wonderful thing. So at least that gives some structure to the day, which is important, I, I find very, very important. The cooking, the eating, <laughs> the basic needs of the body, uh, exercising. First, creativity, well, uh, as I said, after writing that letter, I was so busy with all the aftermath. It's not that I have written so much, but I... I have written a couple of articles, so yes, I have been working. But but it's true that it's a weird situation for creativity because so much is going on. For instance, I cannot read novels. It's as if a very interesting, albeit very dramatic novel is unfolding in front of our eyes in the world. I mean, the plot is thickening every day. <laughs> so my attention goes a lot to that, and I don't have much more brain width for other stories or narration in fact almost none I think that's a great way of putting it actually I'm reminded of my favorite quote from Nina Simone which Mm. is uh, she was questioned in an interview about her involvement in the civil rights movement and her answer was well how can you be an artist and not reflect the times and I'm certainly feeling that that I'm glad it makes sense for my podcast as the one bit of my work that hasn't mostly dried up to be covering this because I don't really know how I would cover anything else right now and stay creative in in a direction that didn't acknowledge this pandemic. Right. I think it was Stephen King. He tweeted something. It was a message to all fellow authors, you know, stopping and reconsidering would be a good idea. And I think that is what many of us are doing. I think that's a really great approach that rather than putting pressure on ourselves to use this time as productively as we normally would, which for many of us doesn't make sense because of the restrictions. Instead, this can be a time for reflection and looking at maybe what the next steps are when the lockdown ends. Observation, being attentive, paying attention. That's a big job in itself. And, uh, you know, this is something I've always said, even in the the other world, the one we are leaving, (laughs) whenever, you know, writers are always asked, where does creativity come from? Where does inspiration come from? And the the problem of this question, it's as if uh, it's a godly thing, you know, this inspiration. It's very simple. In fact, you cannot output anything if you have not input uh, enough. So this is... I think, more a time of inputting these bewildering Mm. times and things and events and facts. Yeah, that's very true. So having looked back on this article and now being a few weeks forward, has your outlook and your level of hope changed in any way for Italy and for the world? The ending of the article, I feel, is still exactly my feelings when we turn and look at the farther away future, the, the bigger future, not just 
the fact that we will eat, but what is going to happen to the world and to us, we do not know. We have no clue. That still feels true. In fact, even more true, even more true, because, you know, we, at least in Italy, but I think in, in many other places, we enter the lockdown even with some feeling of, okay, this is a new thing. Let's see how it works out. But now we're realizing this is a long marathon. We're in this for a long haul. And by this, I don't mean just the uh, health crisis, but the economic crisis, which will inevitably arrive after that, which will inevitably bring social, political crisis on such a huge scale that the only thing you can say really is that I have no idea. And uh, anybody who says they know, they're, they're not getting, I think, the, the, the scale. So that is still true. And of course, there are hopes and fears. And maybe the, the only thing I can say, our hopes and our fears, the only way we can really influence is not by how we talk about this future, but how we act, each of us, our actions. The sum of our actions will be what shapes our future. We're all responsible about this. That's a great place to round up then. What a great message. And the only thing I would add to that is certainly for me, I've learned to find some comfort in the uncertainty that actually at this point, it's easier to take a step back and see what happens. And like you say, take a more observing role because we could just drive ourselves into more of a spiral if we try and be too prescriptive and focus too much on what's going to happen tomorrow. Grand. So thank you so much for joining us, for reaching out and for giving us all a lot to think about, but also a lot of hope. Thank you for inviting me. It was a pleasure. Talk about thinking like a writer. She has like a, a clear, cohesive way of phrasing so much of what's going on right now. Yeah, I think that's it in a nutshell. I mean, when I read the letter, I moved us completely. And, and it, yeah, it has a lot to do with the way she was able to put it down. She just slayed it. She put it down so well, didn't she? She's a writer, so she was able to do that. But listening to her, it felt so connected. I think that's a really good way of phrasing it. And the response that she's had to that letter really, I think, compounded what we were talking about, about a more connected world. The fact yeah. that it's been translated and responded to with such love and appreciation all around the world. And then to get to, to speak to her about it, I feel like this is, we're kind of like documenting this within a bigger documentation of the yeah. pandemic. Yeah. And it's just one of so many examples where I think we're moving forward as people that we've been really pleased to see greater acknowledgement of mental health and how the lockdown in particular is affecting all of us in the media. And as part of that, people seem to now be going the next step of, okay, now how do we find hope? How do we expand this togetherness and this mm. community spirit that so many people are feeling? And I think that's a lot of why people will jump on an article like hers and share it around the place or they're so keen to clap for carers. You know, my my mum's described it as, on one hand, they're so proud of the NHS and they want to show that. But then on the other hand, people are also glad to have the excuse to be outside and wave at their neighbours. Yeah. There's a communal feeling as well as the feeling of thanks and appreciation. 
Absolutely. And I feel like the last week, it, it has been more of a global connection and collective rather than it just feeling maybe quite local at one point. And then now, you know, the nation is behind it because we're seeing on our news and then the more things that are coming out and concerts and different countries doing different things. And, you know, a letter from Italy has just gone viral, a real global connection now. I mean, she was made up more than anyone. She, I loved her, but she couldn't believe in herself, although she stayed so calm with it and cool. Like, she's like, it's 30 languages. It's been translated in. I can't believe it. That was nice. And I'm reminded of, I guess, a UK example is with Captain Tom, how much people have got behind his oh. campaign. So if anyone's listening internationally and they're not aware of who this person is, Captain Tom Moore is a army veteran who pledged 100 laps of his front garden to raise money for the NHS and show his support for those on what is the front line for our generation. And in doing so, he's so far raised £28 for the NHS. And certainly for the last few days, every news report seems to mention him. And there's just so many articles people are talking about for his 100th birthday having a national happy birthday sing-along. And I think like we've been saying, there's just all these examples where people are so keen to take part in solving this crisis, that we all want to feel useful and that we're contributing and at the same time feel less isolated. And so having wonderful people like him to get behind, it's just really a way to galvanise that feeling that we all want to do something and here's this guy that we can all root for, a simple message that we can all get behind. Yeah, although I will say, sorry, Bobby, I will say there are children out there who still aren't as appreciative as they should be, like mine, who when I say, come on, let's go and do some exercise, go, oh, really? And guilt, I I do have to admit, as, as guilty as I feel, I do say to them, can you remember watching that on the news yesterday about Captain Tom Moore? He did 100 laps of his garden for his 100th birthday and raised 28 million. You're nine years old and you don't want to walk around the block. Don't get your trainers off. You're looking at me like, what? Absolutely extraordinary. I just think it's so, so powerful and amazing. So many ways. Yeah. No, you're right. Absolutely. And so, yeah, I'm really pleased that we've got to really tap into an example of how someone has helped bring people together. We've had our own little slice of that with Francesca. We just really wanted to share this wonderful article and it happened that now she's on the show. (laughs) So that's been special. And it was so lovely speaking to her even before we started recording. She just came on so excited to talk to us. And she was talking about how mental health is so important to her personally and in her family and... It's something that she's so glad is getting a spotlight right now and people are recognising the links. She was on about sharing it with all her friends and family and she she was joking about it. I know I'm in it. It's not not because you read my letter. I think it's such a good (laughs) show. (laughs) I'm pitching myself out there to everybody. (laughs) Again, just to back up what you said, it's just dealing with mental health is everywhere and everything. And I think she talks about not being an expert and it just goes to show you don't have to be everything that she wrote about is about feeling and thought and that is all our mental health Mm -hmm. and I I just think it's evident we live day to day and our mental health is a big driving force and we've got to take care of it for sure so I'm really glad that we've highlighted that 
And the last thing I'll mention about the interview then is that she talked a little bit about observing as a role we can take right now. And I thought that was really powerful. And it links really well with what we wanted to talk more about today, which is personal reflection. Right now, we have the time for introspection, if you will. And it's something that we can make the most of. But it is a balance that we have time to check in with ourselves, focus more on our mental health, maybe take a step back from our lives and see, are we happy with the priorities and the routines that we normally have now that we're outside of them? Or do we want to make changes? Perhaps a less healthy way would be, oh, I'm not working and I'm sat at home and I'm scared because of the virus and I'm scared because I'm not productive and I've got nothing to distract myself. Quick, let's frantically try and be productive. Only a few years ago, that would have been my default. This show has been a big part of changing that, that now I have built up that kind of muscle of self-reflection. And so I'm happier to, to slow down and to spend the time with you trying to figure this out rather than rushing to fix something that is outside yeah. of our control. That's good. So along that line of thinking, have there been things you're reflecting on lately? I mean, how long have you got? Well, <laughs> really? <clears throat> Not long. Um, this is a long episode so far. <laughs> yeah. I guess I'm in that moment more, but I don't know how actually in it and connected to the moment I actually am at the moment <laughs> with that same moment 15 times in a sentence because there is a distraction. So even when I'm out walking or running or on my bike and I'm taking in the world, I'm worried about, oh, there's a person coming and across the road. Oh, should I be breathing in this air? oh, what am I going to eat? What are the kids going to have? You know, there's, there's this distraction. So I, I've, right. I've been reflecting on that quite a lot. For sure. And I think that can very easily consume us if we're not careful, mm. that mm. we start looking at everything around us and questioning, mm. do you have germs? And that makes sense. With all that is happening, I can understand that, but that's also yeah. no way to live. That unless you're on the front line, the rest of us have to draw the line somewhere and just try and keep what elements of normality we can. Mm. And and I think that goes for everyone, because even those that don't have the normality of going outside at all, if you're self-isolating for the, the advised 12 weeks because you're at higher risk, even then, there's a way about it where you can keep some level of normality. And there's a way yeah. about it where you spend every day cleaning your house again and again. Yeah. Even if no one's setting foot in there but you. Yeah. There's a way that every single one of us could spiral with these fears. Mm. And so I've been really consciously trying not to do that and trying to take the time to really examine my life. It's throwing up some interesting things. I think now that I'm past the initial shock and to a large extent, I'm finding my new normal right now. And what I'm learning that's really interesting is this simplicity actually appeals to me. Oh. That I've really spent all of my working life rushing around frantically. And that's one of the more silly reasons why I love doing modelling, because that's the one time I get to go and pretend that I'm pretty and I stand around this much normally and I'm not rushing here, there <laughs> and everywhere, desperate not to be late for meetings and trying to balance <laughs> several jobs. You know, modelling's the time yeah. where I get to pretend that my life is simpler and it's 
it's almost like a, a strange kind of meditation in that it's like a step mm. outside of having to be in charge all the time. And what I'm learning from my new routine now with most of my work being cancelled is that that simpler way of living is actually appealing to me so much more. That maybe I can have more free time to reflect. Maybe there's a way for me to feel like I am more ahead on things and not like I'm only just keeping up. Yeah, I think I've realised a lot of that stress and the toll it takes on me only now that so much of it is lifted. And a clear example of that has been with the podcast. Like I've said to you off air, if anyone had told me a few weeks ago that I would have to completely restructure the show so that it makes sense for the times that we live in, I I probably would have straight out said no. Whereas right now everything's changed and we're just able to figure it out. We just got it sorted. Absolutely. And that, Bobby, is on a bigger level the point we can adapt as humans so quickly is amazing, isn't it? Like, everybody would have said, if you were told this six months ago, oh my God, I wouldn't, I can't cope with kids at home. Mm. I can't homeschool them. I can't, well, I can't go to work. I can't do this. I'm going to be in with my husband, with my partner, with my kids all the time, whatever. I, I think a lot it. of people wouldn't have believed it. If you'd yeah. said to people... Oh, I reckon if there was a pandemic, the government would, would shut everything down and people would follow the rules and stay in their homes. We'd be thinking, not a chance. Absolutely. No way, that's too much. People won't do it. Or can't do it. When you realise that, it's so beautiful and it really helps with, especially with mental health, knowing that that change and adapting and doing something and being out of your comfort zone, stepping into the unknown and all of those things that we fear that hold us back are in our reach. They're at our fingertips. It's amazing, really. We adapt. When we're forced to, like we are now, we're doing it. You know, we, we really we really can do it. And it's a it's a beautiful thing when we when we realise it kind of takes this pressure off, this thing that a cloud that we live with all the time and it just provides a freedom. Like it's like liberating. Yeah, if you can find a way to survive this, then I think there is so much that you can learn from it. And that feels such a strange thing to say with all the trauma out there right now. We are very much coming at this from a position of privilege that none of our family members are in hospital right now. But then Mm -hmm. at the same time, even if they were, we don't have any more control over that. Absolutely. We can't see them. We can't help them so finding what ways we can be proactive what things we can do whether that's looking after our mental health whether that's volunteering like you're going to be doing whether that's donating to captain tom's fundraiser there's Mm. things that we can all do in a time when unless we find those things it can feel like we can't do anything and if it's only the smaller things like one thing i can say on reflection is that I've spent longer looking at my children or, you know, we're sitting there, they're doing work or one of them's making me laugh and we're not in a rush. I don't need to rush them out to go to school or like you were saying, being in a rush. And I can actually really connect in with my feelings about looking at how beautiful these little humans are and how innocent they are and how funny they are and how dirty and messy they are and just really, really appreciate them. Well, it's like we've talked a lot about mindset and your your approach can be a big factor Mm -hmm. in this so you're finding ways to focus on the things you do have 
and actually they're the things that matter most. Your family, your health, your home, and work like this where you really feel you're making a difference. And actually so many of the things that you don't have right now, you're not missing as much as you thought you would. Absolutely. You feel quite relieved without them, you know, without the pressure of them, really. Yeah, you find a different meaning for things, a different truth in who you are, really, and what you want. I've got to quote this because I love Alicia Keys and one of the songs that I absolutely love and it hit me the other day and I thought I must mention that to Bobby. She's got a song about that's called like You'll Never See Me Again and it's so funny, it's quite an old tune now basically about, you know, your partner and you can relate it to anyone, I suppose, in your life, my children especially. I'll just quote a little bit from it. It says, I don't want to forget that the present is a gift. I don't want to take for granted the time you may have here with me because Lord only knows another day is not really guaranteed. It just moves me. I mean, the way she sings it is amazing and that moves me. But the present is a gift. I love how she writes that. I love those words together. And it's just so true. Right. And I was actually meaning to quote another one of your favourites because we both listened to one of the recent episodes of Happy Place, the podcast by Fern Cotton. We do. And Russell Brand was in it. And he was talking along similar lines in terms of reflecting on certain things not mattering all of a sudden. And he said, you know, imagine if we get out of this and we all wake up to realising that we're more driven by consumerism than we would like to admit. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm I'm paraphrasing. I'm not exactly quoting him. but, But that was the sentiment that this is waking a lot of people up to realising, okay, all those things that were on my to-do list, buy this, save up for that, suddenly can be really irrelevant. And it very much brings into question what really matters. Because, for example, would you normally be focused more on getting the new iPhone or having a job that you don't hate? You know, so often we kind of suffer the big thing in order to pay for the smaller thing. Yeah. And I can hardly understand how you'd be surviving right now if you hated your job coming into this and it was making you unhappy, but you were finding things like consumerism and other distractions to kind of bandage that over. Mm. And now all of a sudden you're working from home. You know, all of this craziness is going on and you're still chained to your laptop working for this company that you don't believe in. Yeah, it can be quite exposing, can't it, actually? It's exposed us all to have to really check what you're doing, whether it's work, partner life, kids, where you live, all the things that you do that you're driven by, like what you're saying. We're now, oh, shit, I haven't got any of the other stuff. I can't do it. You know, it's kind of laying us bare a bit. Yeah, and I think allowing us all the chance to question what really makes us happy. Yeah. Even just thinking of personal examples, I know plenty of friends that are finding so much joy from very close to home and Mm. painting rooms right now. Um, In the grand scheme of things, paint is not expensive. So on a slightly random note about paint, I think we should wrap up there then. And we'll see how long this episode ends up being. I've slightly lost track. (laughs) Is, Which is, I can tell is not filling you with ease right now because you're always on top of everything. 
you not want to lose track very often. I can see a distraction on the sky. If you could all see, I've got Bobby with his headphones <laughs> in my quickly gazing over at the laptop and looking at the timings and wondering, although not for that conversation, I think we were completely in it then. That's why we've lost track of time. Well, maybe that's going to change. Maybe the, yes. the new Bobby <laughs> is going to be more chill about time. Maybe. And our producer, Pete, will see if he thanks me for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's thinking, no, Danielle. Don't stop it. Stop it. All right. So let's wrap up there. Thank you. And we will we will speak next week. We will. Thank you for listening. For a list of our recommended resources, visit mentalpodcast.co.uk. And remember, we are in no way a substitute for qualified counselling or other mental health support. Our show is edited and produced by the brilliant Pete Murta with licensed music by NetSky. Links in the description. Speak to you next Thursday, and remember, you are enough.